You know, one thing we as people feel very uncomfortable talking about is when we fail. Our failures are something that we try to hide, we prevent, we avoid, and frankly, we don't celebrate. But honestly, it's the areas where we learn the most in our lives is when we fail the most. On today's episode, we bring on a manufacturer who is embracing failure in their organization to drive change and drive results. Is an awesome reminder, and frankly, some really incredible insights are brought in this episode from somebody who's willing to lay it all on the line to share with us what's working, what's not, and how they create the right culture to bring the right types of results for the organization. With that, let's get into the episode. Welcome to the Smarter Building Materials Marketing Podcast, helping you find better ways to grow leads, sales, and outperform your competition. And now, here are your hosts, Zach Williams and Beth Popnikoloff. All right, everybody, welcome to Smarter Building Materials Marketing, where we believe your online presence should be your best salesperson. We've got an awesome show for you today. We've got Regis Verlifta, who is the Chief Executive Officer at WarmUp. Welcome to the show, Regis. Well, thank you, Zach. Thanks, Beth. So, Regis, maybe you could just kick us off today and give us a little bit of background on WarmUp as well as your role in the company. For sure. So I've been in the floor heating industry for about 20 years, and that is WarmUp's main activity. We're building heating cables for a variety of applications, floor heating in your bathroom to snow melting in your driveway, commercial residential applications. Uh, WarmUp is a company based in the UK, and I manage the North American division for WarmUp. I've been doing that for about 10 years, and WarmUp's goal is to change the way you heat your home. First of all, Regis, I just have to say, this is the way we explain warm-up. And we've been in a couple of places where you guys are there. And when people ask what about warm-up or what warm-up does, we're always telling people, like, if you've never experienced underfloor heating, it's got to be, like, top three life-changing experiences. You'll never go back. You had no idea how terrible the floors in your house were. It is one of the toughest sales pitches because it's an invisible product. It's inaudible. You, you can only experience it if you're in a room with it. But it's absolutely true that once people have had floor heating, they don't go back. You can't. It's really common in Europe, right? In like very cold climates. Yeah. Yeah. I can give you a little picture on that without taking too much time from the podcast is that it is more popular in places that don't have forced air. And that, that means outside of America. In America, 67% of a home are heated with HVAC systems. It's about close to zero anywhere else in the world. And so they have different heating systems from convectors to baseboards to floor heat. So floor heat is really mainstream. It is on the higher end of things in terms of luxury and cost, but it is mainstream. It, it is one of the options you look at when your house is, say, four or 500 plus. The interesting thing is into understanding why people don't go back when they have floor heat. is simply that we don't realize that tile and carpet are the same temperature. And it's a bit of a wow moment, but tile and carpet in your house are the same temperature. The only difference is that tile is a good conductor and takes away your body heat. Your hands and feet are about 80 to 85 degrees. And if your house is at 70, then your tile and your carpet are 70 degrees. But the tile being a good conductor, it robs you from your body heat from that 85 degrees, whilst the carpet does not. And so any hard surface will feel cold, but it isn't colder. Just don't tell anyone that because we, we need to sell more heated floors. <laughs> <laughs> I wish that podcast listeners could watch Zach and I's head go, Oh, oh, like that oh that's interesting. <laughs> oh, yeah, of course. I, of course, I knew that. No, I think you probably have a great value proposition because you could be like, hey, like, do your feet ever get cold? Like, would you like that to stop? Like, right. Yeah. Done. Like, yes, okay, well, we, we fix that for you. 
they're no longer cold in your home. Interesting, not to get off topic, but I, I went skiing this past year and we went to a house, like rented a little house that had underfloor heating. And you're like, oh, I can't ever not have a house that has this again. Like if I ever was to build a house, so you're like, luxurious. it's wonderful. It, it takes a minute to get it when you walk into the space and you know you, you put your bags down and then you pause for a second. You're like, this is really comfortable. And yeah. then you look around and then at some point you're like, no way. And then you touch the floor <laughs> and you're like, that's it. Man, that's nice. Mm-hmm. That's 100% the customer experience. That's exactly what happened. Well, you, you love our new ad campaign. It's uh, called Feeder for Weddings. So, Oh. <laughs> when did that launch? Well, it, it hasn't launched yet, but it's a bit of a Colin Kaepernick angle. But I think it introduces our podcast well because it's a bit edgy, as you can imagine. I love that. Do you have like an ad from it that we could include in the show notes? I can send you some, yeah. I really like it. I really like I that. It. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Please tell me there was like somebody on your team that like maybe they broke off their wedding and that's how they came up with the idea. <laughs> it's dark. It's <laughs> how so was your dark. weekend? Well, it was good. It was bad. It was bad because Use I broke off my pain. wedding, but good. I've got a great ad came out idea. <laughs> <laughs> it's so dark. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, I, so, no, no, no. Speaking of your incredible marketing. You guys have an incredible online presence. We actually refer people to go look at your chatbot a lot when they ask how manufacturers can implement a chatbot on their website. We point them to you guys quite often. So can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing right now and what's working for you? Yeah, well, right now we're working on the bot and we're working on the integration of the bot with the Intel that's on the website, which is sort of the the V2 of the bot. So we introduced the technology in its basic form. And now we want to give the background, the intelligence, the library of, of data to the bot so that it can go look for it and answer more and more questions. One of the features that the bot gives you immediately is when people drop out and, you know, what questions they ask that you can't answer automatically. So we have a feature right now where a human being comes in and just jumps in and say, hey, yeah, yeah, we've got this. But we're expanding on that. So that's what we're working on on the tech side. So you're trying to move more into artificial intelligence and make your bot smarter and having to involve people less. Is that what I'm understanding? Yeah, and this can be viewed negatively when people say, "Oh my God, I I, I just called um, you know British Airways or or Verizon, whom I just called actually, and and they asked me to use their automated system to change your phone number, and it was horrendous. It was horrendous because I needed this and that, and I didn't have any of that. I just wanted to talk to a human. But actually, the data out there is is very clear: is that sixty three percent of people do not want to call you. They do not want to talk to you. They yeah. would love to get the information right there and then. And our belief is that that ratio isn't going to go down. There will always be a few people that just need to pick up the phone and and we'll always have a phone number. But as a manager, I'm I'm looking at how the talent in my team is utilized. We've we've got really good people that have been with us a long time. And when I hear them answer a silly tech call or help people program their thermostat for a half hour, I think to myself, they don't want to do it. The people on the phone don't want to be on the phone doing it. How can we make this better? And this is where the bot and other technologies come in, is where we answer that 63% desire of immediate gratification, immediate answering of their question. Warmapedia was another example I'll talk about in the podcast. I'm curious to know, you know, as you introduced the bot, was there like an immediate 
uptick. Not that this whole episode needs to be about the pop, but I'm just curious, like you made a conscious decision. You're saying, okay, we're going to try this out, see if this helps improve customer experience. Was there like initially, like, did you see success out of the gate or were there like things that you didn't know that you didn't know you would run into as you launched that? Good question. And, and this is where you have to decide what success means. For us, success meant engagement. To be honest, there weren't a whole lot of questions we could answer with the bot in its original form. It's pretty limited. And once you want to integrate other things, it takes more development, as you know. But what we wanted is for people to engage with it, to click on it, to see what they were after. Why are they on the website? And to that goal, we achieved it. About 250 people a day engaged with the bot in one way, shape, or form. Some some of which was immediate dropout, 30 seconds realizing that we're talking to a computer or going through the motions and realize we did or didn't answer their question. But all of that became data. And so all of that quickly allowed us to see, did we have the wording right? You know, the whole nature of the bot is to give people, for those who don't know what a bot is, is that the computer is basically asking and answering the question. But in answering the question gives you multiple answers and you, the user, the human on the computer, have to pick one of these answers. So for us in designing a bot, giving that multiple answer is the key, right? If you, if you don't pick the right answers, then definitely the user is going to get stuck because, well, none of those. And if you have a situation of none of the above, then the bot isn't working. I love the way of approaching it of everything is data that you knew, like, we're not going to get it right, right out of the gate. But we are going to do is learn how to get it right. I just think that's the exact right way to approach that. I love that. I think it's a theme that we're, we're going to be sharing today is we, we live in a society in, in North America, and I'll speak for the US specifically, where the consumer in general is pretty forgiving. They, they, they don't mind a beta version. They don't mind earlier, but not perfect. And as long as you don't completely screw it up, as long as you don't put your most precious asset up front and, and, and failing, um, initiatives like the bot allows us to see well, 63% of people don't want to talk to us. Is it true for us? Is it true for the people going on warmup.com? I don't know. So this was one way for us to kind of find out, you know, how many people a day engage with it. And I can't remember the exact ratio of visitors per day versus bot engagement, but you do have a quick correlation that allows you to gather that data. Yeah. What I like about what you're saying is like when we build a website or we you know, help with digital marketing or something like that, we're always thinking about things from the user's perspective, like who is actually visiting my site and like what are the problems that they're running into. And the thing I really like about what I've seen from warm-up, and I'm not just saying this because you're on the call, Regis, but the thing I really like about what you guys are doing is it's you can tell that there's a lot of thought put into the different audiences that are on your site, the problems and pain points that they run into. Can you share with us a little bit more about what's working for you from a digital standpoint, like where you've seen success and where you think you need to push the boundaries of warmups, digital efforts? Yeah, this was a bit of an FTS moment and you can fill in the blanks as to what that means. But the two, three <laughs> years ago, we had a changeover in a lot of our marketing and web teams in the UK, warmup being a UK company, a lot of the uh, talent is centrally located and we're, we're just satellite offices managing websites and and we have 30 websites across the globe maybe more by now and it became very tedious to manage the optimization of the site and the ppc campaigns and it, it was really a difficult complex beast and we couldn't get to 
the gist of what was right and what was wrong and how to elevate our profile with Google, which is so crucial, as you know. And at some point, we had that FTS moment and we said, let's just think about who we're talking to and write it like these people are face to face and just go with that. Just go with that. If Google tries to mimic the habits and thoughts of a user, well, let's assume they're doing a really, really good job. And so let's talk to that user. And that worked. So at some point, you got to set technology aside, the benchmarking aside. You just got to go in a dark room and think about what does this thing really need to do? What do you want from your website? Well, ultimately, you want a lot of you know, people visiting it and engaging with it and having conversions, whatever the conversions are. So your website needs to answer a bunch of things. But most importantly, your website needs to be good. It needs to be complete. It needs to answer the questions that you think people have. And this is where we go back to the bot. It's like, well, what are the questions people have? And this is one of the things the bot can give you. So whether it's a success or not, 250 people a day can tell us what, what they're asking about. And so every month, that means I get quite a few people telling me what they're really looking from the website. That's like real-time customer insights. You know, essentially, yeah, that's interesting. You know, I'm curious to know, you mentioned like you had a moment where you're like, we just need to stop overthinking this problem. If I'm paraphrasing, stop overthinking this and just give our audience what they're looking for. Was that a difficult decision to make? Like, just if you can peel back the curtain for us a bit, like, was that hard for you to make that decision? Or was like, there a piece of data or something there? You're like, we're overthinking this a bit. Can you talk about that decision or that moment that you went through to try to restructure how your digital is focused? Yeah, I think I would summarize it in a way that when we had the smart folks around the room, a virtual room, deciding what was right and what was wrong, a lot of people had good ideas and good feedback, but no one could say for sure what would take Google the right way. And there was a lot of debate about merging websites and, and changing this platform. And ultimately, when everybody has good ideas, but we're getting into too technical a discussion, like the website is some sort of machine, I realized that we forgot why we had a website to begin with. And so it was a tough decision, but thankfully it was mine to make. And I said, guys, let's keep all that. Let's keep all this analysis and this, this thought process. But let's go back to why do we have a website and what does it need to do? Let's not talk about meta tags and, and uploads and, and search engine optimization. So obviously, you can't disrespect the input of, of very smart people that are on your team. And they're working with you in trying to make the website as popular as possible. But at some point, you have to ask them to help you answer that very basic, back to you know, the origins type of question. Why do we have a website? It does take people aback because they're so deep into the technical, especially people who are SEO specialists. They have every metric in the book and they're, they're in Google Analytics all day long. Asking them why we have a website is a bit of a tough question to ask them. I think it would be a really tricky question for, and I'll just be honest, a lot of manufacturers to answer that without it being all about them. Warmup is a little bit unique in that you have an incredible pulse on your customers and really put your customers first. It sounds like I'm just like being nice because you're on the podcast, but I promise we think these things about you anyway. <laughs> And because I think a lot of people, I hope I don't like just totally lose people here, but I think for a lot of manufacturers, they actually may have the wrong idea about why they have a website. But I think that actually brings us to another good point that we wanted to make sure we gave space for today, which is actually talking about the incredible culture within Warmup where you make space for failure. 
and how you've created that culture that embraces it in a way that allows you to learn quickly. So I imagine those two ideas to be connected and and forgive me if I'm making an incorrect assumption that your people felt safe to pause what we would call traditional SEO for the sake of trying this other thing where we just focus on what people need from us. Can you talk to us a little bit about how you guys make failure safe? Absolutely. Good question. It's a culture that takes time developing and you, you've got to start small, but the fail often fast principle is, is definitely gospel at warm up. And that's because we do want to ask tough questions whilst respecting each other so that we can try new things and some of it sticks, some of it doesn't. So we always try to look at any initiative, whether it's a website and it's ranking or whether it's a product launch with the MVP principle, so the minimum viable product. As soon as you have something basic, do people engage with it? And I do remember that when, when we went from a website that was all about us, full of SEO optimization to a website that was, let's tell my mom about heated floors, which is really what it should be doing. Then we were able to apply that principle and say, okay, let's not change the whole website. Why don't we change the front page and the homeowner section? We have a lot of homeowners coming on the website. We know that because a lot of people click on homeowner and go through that section. So why don't we get a few pages in there and see if the bounce rate goes down and if we actually get more engagement on the conversions on these pages? That was a good application of our MVP principle. All right, if we all agree that we should try something new, let's not rip apart a website that took years and years to build, but let's change a few pages that will give us a sense of whether we're onto something right. And it turns out that we were, that the metrics were significantly improving until we improved the rest of the website bit by bit. And that was that fail off and fast principle in motion. That's fascinating, Regis. I'd be curious to know, can you give us some examples of where you failed, like in your marketing? I know it's kind of a pointed question, but I'd love to know, and just to make us all, I guess, on the podcast, feel better about ourselves. Like, where are some areas where, <laughs> where you were like, hey, I, let's try this idea and let's just see if it flies or if it fails? Yeah, for sure. The point of sale material has been a moving a moving target for us. And it's probably the one example I'll, I'll bring up is we followed the competition, the marketplace a lot. The point of sale is one of those that you just put up, put at the client and hope it, it does something. The problem is at no point do you reconsider it. You never question what it, what it should be doing. And so many a time we've tried, we've put things out there We've thought about it, but we ended up copying the competition and we failed miserably. And these things are expensive. It's very difficult. Another one was a a campaign with gear. We wanted to do a a gear program for contractors so that they could actually get, you know, cool warm-up schwag as they go through the training program. And someone came up with the idea that I think it was me, so please, my, if my team listens to this, I, I, take, I take full responsibility for it. But we decided to engage a, a young designer to come up with something cool and to put on T-shirts and other gear. And so we paid this designer to do that. We printed a bunch of gear and the contractors hated it. They, they just did. The salespeople never gave it out. Why did they like it? Was it something about the design they didn't like or? Yeah, I think the design was good, but for the wrong audience, mm-hmm. right? And we didn't tie the dots. We moved too fast. We had good ideas, but we tried, you know, it could have been a success. It could have been a a, a great success. And this is one of these many little initiatives that we do. And sometimes you move a little too fast. So if you could do a postmortem and learn from it, realize that, all right, so the designer idea was good. 
because it was kind of unique, but we didn't tell the designer it was for contractors. I'm pretty sure we didn't. And so when the contractor saw it, I said, what is this for? You know, not for me, I'm not wearing that. We realized we had the wrong solution to the right problem. What about successes? Can you give us some more examples? Like I know you mentioned, obviously the bot has been successful for you and I don't want to just focus on areas where you've tried and failed, but like, are there any other examples you're like, Hey, this is a big risk team. Let's try this out and see if it works. And it actually did end up propelling you or bringing you some result that you really wanted. Yeah. And after the fact, it's quite romantic to, to tell your successes because everybody, you know, everybody can see it's a, it's a success, but, but at the time, <laughs> yeah, it does. But, but I would say, you know, for the benefits of the podcast and anyone listening, getting value from this, as I do with all the podcasts, the story of Warmapedia is one where you've got to get a little lucky, but you can't get lucky if you stay bundled up in your house. I mean, if I, if I can give you a quick analogy that I, I love to tell is the Stefan Edberg analogy. There was a Stefan Edberg for those of us old enough, was a tennis player, was Swedish, I think Swedish tennis players. And one match he won, but, but he had 23 or 24 let balls. For those who play tennis, this is where the ball hits the top of the net and then just dies on the opponent's side, giving you the point, which is impossible to return. And the, the interview asked him, wow, well, you, you got really lucky. And he said, no, that's where I aim. And it hit me. And I thought, that's right. That's right. Every tennis player aims about you know, two inches above the net. They're not trying to, you know, hit anywhere else. So he didn't get lucky. He created his own luck, so to speak. So what I like about that is the, the Warmapedia story. And for those of us who have a minute, go on warmapedia.warmup.com. It's basically a knowledge base of all the Q&As about our products and troubleshooting. And what it originally was is a word-based tech support for our own staff. Every time we had a new person, we had to train this person. And we thought, well, why don't we write it down? We'll give Joe, you know, 10, 20 pages of things to read. And then, you know, we'll continue training them. And that 20 pages became, you know, 50 and so forth and so forth. And then one day, for some technical reason that escapes me, we had to migrate it on a shared platform in the group. And I think we were integrating SharePoint within the, the business. So we just put it online. We said, you know what? WordPress is very easy to, to edit. We'll just put it online. We'll pick a URL and then everybody can go on it. We can maybe even send links to contractors. And we thought, yeah, that's a good idea. Next thing you know, this thing is blowing out of proportion. It is ugly as hell. It doesn't have any editing. And we have 20, 30,000 people a year uh, going on it. So the marketing <laughs> team gets to work. We start prettying things up, organizing, you know, maybe put a little forum. We, we still haven't come to the, to the end of things. And now we get about 75 to 100,000 people going on that website, which just like the bot is doing what people tell us they want. 63% of people want to find the answer on Warmapedia. They don't want to talk to us. So it's really doing that now. Our team doesn't spend a lot of time you know, answering lengthy repetitive questions. They can either send you a link or you've already found out on the website. But this was a bit of serendipity. We, we, had, we had something in our hands and by chance, it found its way online and people said, we love this stuff. Make it pretty so we can look it up. And now Warmapedia has quite a few zero listings on Google, which is pretty cool. Wow. Zero listings. Yeah. 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 The Holy Grail. The That's Holy awesome. Grail. <laughs> That's right. That's right. 
Have you ever heard of a Starbucks version of what you're talking about? They have like this unique platform where you can go and submit potential new products or ideas that Starbucks could roll out. Have you seen this before? Have I shared this with you? Oh, no, no, but that's cool. They basically, it's really smart. They basically give people the ability to propose new ideas. And then other people that shop at Starbucks can say, yes, I like that idea or no, I don't. So Starbucks gets real-time insights on what people want to give them more money to make. Like, it's just the craziest thing. Like, hey, we'll make more of that and we'll charge you for it too. Like, (laughs) But I think that's how they even came up with like the unicorn drink came about that way. Like some of their weird Halloween, like the Frankenstein one. You know, a little heat stopper that they have like the little green thing that came from that website. People were like, I don't like that my drink. Yeah. I don't like that that my drink gets cold. So I, I would like a little stopper that goes there and like, Oh, that's a great idea. We can't charge you for it, but we will for your next idea. You know, (laughs) (laughs) somehow it's built into the price. I bet it is somehow they'll find a way. I think this is a recurring theme of this edition of the podcast is that you, at some point, if you have a good idea and you, you've thought it minimally through, you know, don't, don't be in isolation. Like you, you can overthink things. And, and most of us do at some point, go out there and, and find out what people have to say. It's, it's never really that bad. People, people love to give their feedback and they love to engage with you. They feel more engaged with the brand as a whole. Sure. There's a few trolls and a few people with, you know, really bad feedback, but they're just a few, you can ignore them. So we always ask people on the podcast, what advice they would give. But if I could ask that in a two prong way, we've talked about your incredible marketing, but I'd love to hear what advice you would give to manufacturers listening. If they want to be more effective and innovative in their marketing, similar to warm up, but also if they want to introduce this type of fail off and fast environment and culture, what does that take? What advice would you give for that? So in, in terms of the culture, the important thing is to have mutual respect for each other. Having a, a very hierarchical sort of group makes that difficult. If, if someone has a stake and is, you know, the all-knowing individual in the company and everybody else, you know, mm-hmm. just a set of minions, this isn't going to work. But if you have a great respect for the people you hire, and if you hired smart people, let them do what, you know, you hire them for, you know, give them the right mission, but, but respect their view you actually give them that freedom to succeed. You have to be, as a manager, you have to be the catalyst. Sort of, okay, we're ready. Let's go with that. Let's go with Joe. Joe has a good idea. We all agree. Let's put it out there. Let's see what people think. So in summary of that concept, I mean, you've got to have the right culture. You have to have respect for for the smart people on your team. But I, I like to summarize it in saying that you have to think in isolation, but you have to, but you can't develop in isolation. That's because at some point you got to stop and think, and I'll go back to the website story. The thinking in isolation means at some point, stop listening to SEO, stop listening to all the metrics. Yes, they're out there. But put a towel over your head and think, why do I have a website? And what is it supposed to say? What do people want it to say? So that's just thinking in isolation. Otherwise, the only thing you're paying attention to are your metrics and your rankings and this and your that and your meta tags. And then you get lost. You, you forget why you had a website in the first place. The don't develop an isolation concept is, okay, so once you're onto something, try it out and put it out there. Whether it's a product, whether it's a, a point of sale or my t-shirt story, just go out there and put it out there. If it's really horrible, people will tell you. But it's unlikely you'll damage the brand. I mean, if you have smart people in your company, what are you going to put out there? can't be miserable. It's actually going to spark and give you shortcuts to the end result. Because what happens is you, you plan this product and it's going to do this and this and this. 
And if you wait for that point for people to tell you, oh, but you know, we don't use those crews because we don't have those bits in our drills. You're going to have to do a lot of backpedaling at a very late product launch stage. It's much better to, to develop publicly. Agreed. You know, Regis, if I can brag on you for a moment, you know, for our listeners out there, Regis actually approached me. He's like, Hey, I've gotten a lot out of the industry and the industry has helped me a lot. And I, I think it's my time to give back. And so when him and I were chatting in advance of this episode, he actually brought up the idea of talking about failure. Cause that's something we're not always very comfortable talking about. Like we want to tell people like what we do. Well, we don't want people to know what we do wrong. Right. <laughs> we're human beings. And so I'm just saying, we're just like, I'm so thankful for your perspective. Cause you know, it's hard as an organization to say, you know, we're going to be comfortable failing because we want to risk and see more reward. And the fact that you're willing to talk about it and come on the show and be candid, like, I just think just speaks to the success and part of the reason why you guys are doing so well. And so I just want to, you know, thank you for coming on the show. I think this has been incredibly valuable. Oh, fantastic. It's been a pleasure. Well, awesome. Regis, thank you again. And for our listeners out there, you should check out warmup.com. And we'll also link to all the different things that he mentioned in the show notes. Until next time, I'm Zach Williams alongside Beth Popnikolov. Thanks, everybody. You've been listening to Smarter Building Materials Marketing with Zach Williams and Beth Popnikolov. To get the resources mentioned in this podcast, visit benvio.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening.